Strong voices. It's not just about one state. It's not just about one community. It's about all of our communities. The issues that face Indigenous peoples around the world sit at the heart of the questions that we're asking about the future of our political order. I am here and now, and I speak my language. I practice my cultural essence of me. What we do need is a more critical race consciousness in this country, a preparedness to talk about race, to talk about the way in which racialized logics are inscribed upon our bodies, and to critically examine them in order to change it. The government's changed, but we're going to be still here. We're always going to be still here. We've been here for 65,000 years, and I don't think we're going to go anywhere. What the system still struggles with is this collaboration with First Nations people. A strong voice is an Aboriginal voice. Good morning and welcome to Strong Voices. We're coming to you live from the Calm Radio Studios here on Arunda Country in Central Australia and broadcasting to all nations through Vast Channel 911 and on Aitken FM here in Alice Springs. We're also coming to you online from our website, that's uh, karma.com.au. Today is, of course, Wednesday, the 8th of May, 2019. I'm Kyle Dowling. Great to have your company this Wednesday morning. We're coming up on the program today. We're going to hear about a uh, new report by leading Australian charities which challenged government to focus on social issues and not just the economy. We're going to be hearing from one of the co-authors of that report who will be sharing their thoughts a little bit later. Also, according to Asthma Australia, one in nine Australians have asthma, but for First Nations peoples, those rates are almost double. Yesterday, the 7th of May, marked World Asthma Day, and this morning we're going to be hearing from Asthma Foundation NT discussing the day. Also, we're going to be hearing from the CEO of NIB Foundation. The foundation aims to help people and communities to lead healthier lives by improving health and well-being. We're also, of course, going to be hearing the latest in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander news from right across the country. I'm on Darren Pedersen and you're listening to Calm Radio, Strong Voices on 18 FM. With one in nine Australians suffering from the effects of asthma, health educators are warning regular health checks remain a priority. Lorena Walker yesterday spoke to Education Manager Lenine Ellett-Holmes uh, from the Asthma Foundation uh, and tea about World Asthma Day. My name is Leanne Elliott-Holmes. I'm the Education Manager at Asthma Foundation NT. I've worked there for over 10 years. I have a background in nursing and I'm also the Master Trainer for all asthma courses and allergy and anaphylaxis in the Territory. Today marks World Asthma Day. Can you just tell us a little bit about asthma and what it is? Asthma affects one in nine Australians. It's very common. It runs in families and often you'll find that when we talk about family history we want to know that allergic family history so it's asthma eczema hay fever allergies it's all one big happy family but sadly we still have over 400 a year die from asthma or we say one a day or eight a week still dies from asthma there's no current cure for asthma it's very much a preventable disease though and it's a manageable disease by taking medication as prescribed by having regular checks we can manage our asthma there's a chronic it is a chronic condition 
condition of the lungs. Often it is, as I said, it is passed through families and that gene is very strong in families. We can often do things to manage it so that we can be symptom free, but we can't currently cure asthma. So, and even just like for people out in remote areas, like you said, regular checkups and things like that, and also the importance of carrying, you know, a a puffer around with you uh, just in case. Exactly right. You know, the most common asthma medication currently on the market is the Ventolin or Asmol, or we say the blue-grey puffer, and always carrying with that with you, making sure that we've got good technique, so using a spacer with it as well, and it is what we use for asthma first aid. It is what we use for asthma emergencies. It's what we use to treat our symptoms. It is the medication that we use for exercise-induced asthma. You can buy it over the counter at any chemist in Australia, but it is something that we should have in all our first aid kits. Yeah, most definitely. And what about the people that may not know that they they have asthma? My first thing would be saying go and speak to their doctor. Now, the most common signs and symptoms of asthma is a cough, particularly at night, early hours of the morning, or with children you find with vigorous play or exercise, they've just got that dry, irritating cough, or it can be some shortness of breath. It can also be some chest tightness or a wheeze. Now, an asthma wheeze is predominantly the wheeze the, you hear it when you breathe out that you hear the asthma wheeze. So if you're having any of these symptoms, don't ignore them. Speak to your doctor. Now, depending on your age, we can do what's called a lung function test or a spirometry. And so that's probably from children from seven up. And we recommend that all doctors should be managing adult asthma with spirometry. And so having those at least six to 12 monthly. But also if for a young child, what they would then do is trial of medication. So they may try the blue-grey puffer for a couple of weeks. We now know that if using your blue-grey puffer more than twice in one week, we would say your asthma is not controlled. So that's when we'd be going back to our doctor and saying, look, it's helping me to breathe, but I'm needing to use it more than twice in one week. And that's when your doctor would be saying, okay, we'll put you on a preventer medication. So a preventer medication is prescription medication, and it's normally a medication that you take morning and night to prevent you from having asthma symptoms. If you're having an asthma emergency, the only one you need to know is the blue-grey puffer. Does asthma also affect the heart as well? Older people can get very confused whether the chest tightness and the shortness of breath is the heart or is is it asthma so that's where you need to have a firm diagnosis of whether it is asthma so whether it's the respiratory system or whether it's the cardiac system that's been involved so the heart's been involved so it so that's where you might find a lot of older people may have asthma and may have a heart condition but not normally no the blue grey puffer though can often make your heart race fast but that will settle it's very safe to use the blue grey puffer the ventolin or the asthma but it can give you the shakes it can make your heart race really fast and often little children can go quite silly on it but at the end of the day it is the only medication that will work very quickly relax the muscle around the airways and open them up and help you to breathe like 40% of children diagnosed with asthma under the age of five, you'll find one or more parents are a smoker, so passive smoking as well as cigarette smoking. And, you know, we don't need to preach on. We know the damage that smoking does to our lungs. We also see that crossover now of asthma and COPD, which is your chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, which is your emphysema. But also by continuing to smoke, it doesn't just affect our lungs, but it also will reduce the effectiveness of the use of our asthma medication as long as we continue 
to smoke. But it's not as easy as just quitting because, you know, we have these little nicotine receptors in our brain that are screaming for a fix. So once again, speak to your doctor about smoking cessation and know that you're not alone. When we're talking about cigarette smoke, it's smoking cannabis as well. It could also be campfires, bushfire smoke, any of that can irritate those airways. Being World Asthma Day, uh, what important message do you have out there to our listeners about asthma? I would say is know your asthma first aid, which is your four by four by four. So this is community asthma first aid. We use our blue grey puffer and our spacer. We always sit the person upright if they're having difficulty breathing. We give them four puffs of that blue grey puffer, one at a time. They breathe it in four times. We then wait four minutes and see how they are. If there is little or no improvement, we repeat. We give another four puffs with four separate breaths in between each puff and wait four minutes. If there is no improvement then, it's call an ambulance by dialing triple zero. Continue to give four puffs of reliever medication, the Ventolin, the Asmol, every four minutes until you get help. And that is your community asthma first aid. Always carry your blue-grey puffer with you because that will predominantly save your life or save someone's life. Always don't ignore your asthma symptoms. So go and speak to your doctor. Come and see us at the Asthma Foundation or you can ring 1800-ASTHMA and speak to us here in Darwin over the phone. Leanne, I just want to say um, thank you for taking the time out uh, this morning Not and, a problem. and talking to us here on Karma. Not a problem and happy World Asthma Day. Yes, that was the education manager, Leanne uh, Elliott-Holmes from the Asthma Foundation NT speaking with Karma's Lorena Walker yesterday on uh, World Asthma Day. We're going to be hearing the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander news from right across the country very shortly. What's up? You're listening to Strong Voices on Karma Radio. Yes, that's right. You're listening to Strong Voices here on Karma Radio 8KNFM. Great to have your company this morning for Strong Voices. And I'm very happy to say that I'm joined in the Karma Studios by Karma's uh, Damien Williams and Lorena Walker. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Good morning, Karma. Well, it is time for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander news from right across the country. We'll start with you, Damien. I understand uh, going to be talking a little bit about the High Court, which is looking at some interesting things about uh, Aboriginal men and whether or not they'll actually be deported. Yeah, the High Court uh, to rule on whether Indigenous men can be deported from Australia. This is a report from ABC. Um, The two men with Indigenous heritage, uh, but who were both born overseas, could be deported after they failed the migration charter test, character test, uh, depending on the outcome of the High Court um, case beginning today. Um on the two separate um, cases relate to um, Brendan Thomas, 30, and Daniel Love, who was 34, who are represented by the same legal firm, um, and they both have the same issue. Now, um, Mr. Thomas was born in New Zealand to an Aboriginal mother and has lived in Australia since he was an infant, although he does not have Australian citizenship um, he is even a native title holder as a member of the um, Gungari people, um, but after being sentenced to more than a year in jail, has been taken into immigration detention, having failed the character test um, outlined in migration law. And uh, also the other case, Mr. Love was born in Papua New Guinea to an Aboriginal father and moved to Australia when he was five. Um, but he, he also is recognised as a member of the Kamilaroi people, um, but does not have Australian citizenship. And um, 
he found himself in detention as well after serving um, more than 12 months. Um, uh, yeah, so it's it's a it's pretty hard um, sort of thing to try and wrap your head around because, yeah, you know, knowing that um, Aboriginal fathers, uh, they both have Aboriginal fathers, I believe, um, and, yeah, not getting their citizenship because they were born, born overseas, but, um, yeah, I didn't understand how... Like I thought, you'd get your nas- your citizenship from your parents, either way. And mm. Yeah, so I'm pretty, uh, I'm I'm pretty stuck for what's going on as well. Yeah, because uh, I mean, my understanding of the story is a little bit dated, and it was quite some time ago. Because this is something that has been going for for, for quite some time. Uh, I think it was in the case of Mr. Love, I believe. But it, it was, you know, he had like a pre-existing visa and stuff like that. And it was looking like that was getting revoked and it didn't look like that was going to happen. And now mm. it's sort of at this interesting sort of impasse now. And um, it'll be very interesting to see w- <laughs> how the high court rules. Definitely very interesting to when you brought up the other point as well with the the first gentleman. I, I, pardon me, I've forgotten his name. Mr. But, Thomas, um, yeah. Yeah, Mr. Thomas being actually a, a native a title of, yeah. Yeah, of uh, native title holder um, from the Gungari people and yeah I thought that would be you know strong evidence to suggest that uh, yeah, he's a citizen of yeah. um, Australia and his people yeah and I understand that the whole point of this is obviously like you mentioned in terms of the immigration policy was that crackdown in terms of um, you know any sort of people who you know didn't have citizenship yeah. here who who were in prison, I believe, for at least 12 months or at yes, least, you know, so. committing, a, a, you know, sort of a range of more sort of serious offences and things like yeah. that. Um, but it, it will be very interesting to see as to whether or not uh, these men who do have Aboriginal heritage are, in fact, deported. Obviously, I think in the case of both of them, they lived in the country for the vast majority of their so lives. Little, so, yeah. so. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how, how that plays out. Mm. Well, we'll go to our next story. We'll go to you, Narina. What did you have for us this morning? Yeah, so this one's just um, about a convention that was held in Catherine. Uh, This is um, the Christian community this year have gathered in Catherine for the Catherine uh, Christian Convention with over 800 people travelling from all over uh, the country to be there. And it's a revised version of the Creo Bible. So people from all over Australia, people from the top end, uh, I think people from central Australia as well travelled up. But um, yeah, so this is the the Creo new edition of the, the Bible. So uh, that's been published by the Bible Society of Australia. So yeah, that's pretty... Yeah, it's an interesting as well. Mm. Yeah, so um, yeah, like I said before, this is the f- this is the fifty second uh, Catherine Christian Convention, and um, this year's theme was walking in the light. So yeah, a lot of people from all over the country have travelled from APY land, from the Kimberley region in uh, WA. Um, yeah, so. Oh, wow, it's amazing to hear like the the you know the the amount of distance a lot of people are travelling. Yeah, and also just looking at um, their being able to um, put the book out in other Aboriginal languages as well, the Bible. So, yeah, they're going to be printing out some in Walpuri, um and also Pinjara um, and the language from the Tiwi Island as well. I think it's really good. You know, we're starting to see it, I think, a fair bit more. You know, we've had the story running. We're going to hear a bit more 
you know, another perspective on it, on the story that you've been running, Damon, in regards to, to Smiling Minds, the app as well. It's, I think it's really interesting and good to see that level of support for the different languages now. We're seeing it being rolled out in a lot of different avenues. You know, mm-hmm. we've got, um, you know, different things that are being tailored to the mob now, I think is really mm-hmm. good. And often when you see these things, they're, they're actually going to the communities and, and seeing how they can actually integrate that process. I think it's, yeah. it's been really good. Yeah, no, it has yeah. been it has been really good, and uh, along with that story as well, um, you know, for years out of Hemsburg, we've had uh, the Bible translated into Aranda because that was one mm-hmm. of the mission, um, you know, Strelo's um, mission to to um, you know bring language and, and teach in Aranda first. So they learnt uh, the German missionaries learnt Aranda first before they taught any other language, English or German. Um, but yeah, so, you know, a lot of our hymn books and stuff out of Hammondsburg are in Aranda, Western Aranda and Pinjara. Mm. Um, so yes, cra- crazy and uh, great to see that um, happening for other other languages as well. And the importance, like you said, the importance of um, uh, recognizing language and trying to um, get any information across to people in their own language to, to help um, bridge that gap I, mean, I guess um in a way of teaching people in, in their own language is pretty cool yeah yeah and it's just that i think just that extra support and it shows that you know i think it's great when people are able to go that that extra mile because it's mm. obviously going to make it easier on people exactly. then, rather than having to then you know read it in english and then sort of you know have to process that that whole aspect of it and then some things you lose in translation as well because mm. a lot of things don't translate um into a lot of um uh, native languages so yeah like mm. you have to have the a grasp of both languages pretty much to to be able to translate that or find similar ways in which to translate and just briefly demo i understand we have a, a story talking about um some experiences of people on the basics card uh can you tell us a little bit about that yeah um the australian Australians on the basic card, anxious for welfare support change ahead of the federal election. People on the poverty line in the Northern Territory are battling logistical nightmares and daily shame due to the long-running income management policy. The ABC um, uh, reports that uh, it's unclear if their lives will change after the federal election. For um, uh, Martin Afat, his uh, little green basics card is still shiny and new. And Darwin residents, um, the Darwin resident was only put on this form of income management by Centrelink in April, and he does not yet know if it will complete um, complicate his life yet. So there's still a bit of um, doubt about if the basics card will stay. Or go in the next yeah, election. and and the, this story is from the ABC, and and one of the other residents I actually spoke with was talking about sort of the complications in terms of um, some of the availability of places that can actually use, uh, you know, is able to actually uh, take the basics card. So in terms of being able to pay for it, so one of the establishments um, where he would get fuel within his community, uh, I believe weren't able to take the basics card because they actually sold alcohol at the premises as well, which meant that, you know, the the gentleman then had to drive, uh, you know, 70 kilometres both ways in terms of mm. to get to the nearest place to, to get fuel. So right. some of those ongoing concerns. Obviously, we have seen changes to um, 
you know, different in- income management and things like that over the years and, and there's, you know, the potential talk of rolling out the, the cashless debit card as well in different places. So, obviously, still a very topical issue moving into the federal elections and, and hopefully those views from the community members are able to get out there and, and people are able to actually, you know, hear them and listen and, and you know, take that their experiences and feedback on board as, as they, you know, implement new policies and changes into the future. Yeah, so like if if places do sell that stuff, I think isn't it? It's restricted, so it's really yeah. hard. Yeah, so essentially the basics card. I think play, I think it quarantines sort of like you know places. You can only spend half the money on very specific mm. things, and then the other half is is solely on that yeah. on the card itself or very specific purchases. But uh, on that note, uh, Lorena, Damien, thank you both for joining us for the news from around the country. Thank, thank you. you. Yes, and as we reported in our news, a new report by leading Australian charities says the country is becoming a meaner, more inward-looking and selfish country and has challenged government to address key social issues and not just the economy. The report reveals more people now die by suicide than the road toll, terrorism, violence and most diseases. The rate of suicide amongst Indigenous Australians currently double that of non-Indigenous Australians. Report co-author... David Crosby, CEO of Community Council of Australia, says it makes very alarming, says it's very alarming reading as uh, a nation we can only hope it stimulates key debate about the many issues which it now raises. This report came about when we brought together 60 charity leaders from across Australia to talk about the kind of Australia we wanted to live in and they came up with a, a usual kind of list of values. You know, we wanted to live in a just society, a fair society, a safe society. And we said that's not good enough. What we need is not just a set of words, but some indicators, some measures around each of those words. What do they mean in practice? And so for each of the important values from the charity leaders, we got a measure. So for justice we have uh, incarceration rates and what rate do we lock people up. Uh, For inclusiveness, we had suicide rates. For safety, we had how safe do people feel walking alone at night. So there are 12 of these indicators. And what we found in this latest report, we did our first report in 2016, this latest report finds that Australia is actually going backwards in some really critical areas particularly our incarceration rates, which are incredibly high compared to most countries around the world. It's twice most countries in Europe. It's three times Ireland, um, one and a half times Canada. I mean, we just have an incredible capacity to lock people away in Australia. Our suicide rates are higher than our road toll and increasing. Uh, We're slipping down the international corruption scale our carbon emissions are actually increasing. Uh, the gap between women and men feeling safe is the biggest in the OECD. And we're giving less to charities and giving less to poverty around the world. So we're a bit concerned that we're becoming a bit meaner, a bit more selfish, uh, a bit more inward-looking. Uh, we're locking more people up, um, more people are suiciding and our women feel unsafe at a very high level, particularly compared to the level to which men feel unsafe. Do you think that many politicians have lost touch? Getting into politics uh, certainly 
uh, puts people at a, another level. And um, obviously, if they're flying backwards and forwards to Canberra, they're not out at a grassroots level, out on the streets looking at what poverty is there, understanding that poverty is something that continues to impact in what is now one of the richest nations on earth. What we have seen is almost a constant denial or lack of wanting to talk about the issue. Uh, How do charity groups actually pin them down and making sure that government isn't ignoring that? And when we look at incarceration rates and suicide rates, well, obviously the First Nations peoples, their rates of uh, incarceration and suicide for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders are almost off off the scale. So, again, we've got one level for Australians, but another level for First Nations Australians. I think of that, Paul, but in many ways I think this is about partly what we can all do. I, I think the major problem we have in our political discussions, and we see it in this election, is that when we talk about how Australia is doing as a country, we tend to focus on the economic indicators. You know, what is our gross domestic product? How wealthy are we? Um, how, what's our marginal tax rate? It's these kinds of discussions that seem to dominate media and even election campaigns. That's not what's most important to most people. And that's not to say we don't need a strong economy. Of course we do. But most people are just trying to live worthwhile lives in their families, in their workplaces, in their communities. And whether or not their lives are worthwhile depends largely on the values that are being enacted in each of those settings. You know, are people caring for each other? If something goes wrong for them, will they have support? Are they able to support other people when something goes wrong? Um, Do they get encouragement to develop and become all they can be, particularly for our young people? I mean, these are the things that really make a difference in people's lives. They are about people's lives. And these proxy measures, incarceration rates, suicide rates, feelings of safety, are really about whether the values are there in our communities. And if they're not there, there we can certainly ask the government to be more accountable. No point telling us you're addressing suicide and putting another $100 in there if you can't tell us what the current suicide rate is and what your target is to reduce it to and how this is going to do it. I mean, I think we have lots of discussions about how much money is going to a particular problem, but we don't actually talk about whether we're addressing that problem. And often it's ill-conceived money. You know, I think there are examples where, you know, we'll build people new houses and then walk away and expect them to maintain themselves then a surprise when the houses are no longer well-maintained after three or four years, but we put no infrastructure in place to ensure that they were well-maintained. You know, sometimes I think the way we do things doesn't produce the outcomes. And what this report is saying is let's not just talk about how well we're doing as a country economically. Let's talk about these measures. And when you're talking about how you're going to spend money, tell us how it's going to impact on these measures. And as a charity, if you're taking money and saying that you're doing things, you tell me, how are you impacting on these measures? And in our communities, as individuals in our families and in our workplaces and in our communities, we should be thinking about what can we do to help make Australia a better place to live for the people around us? 
And I think if we all did that, Australia would not only be a, a better place to live, but I think our economic growth would be even stronger. It's very easy when you're up the top end of town to say, what's wrong with you people? Uh, a former treasurer said, go out and get a better job. All of these comments signal a great deal of concern to many people because what it does say is that some people who are actually controlling the money in this country have very little real understanding of what it is like to be on the dole, what it is like to struggle to get to a hospital. All of the things that many take for granted, sadly in this country we're seeing more and more people now facing the reality of going into old age without a massive superannuation. How are they going to cope? I mean, this growing number of retirees coming up. And is the government or will the government be even concerned about allowing them to live a lifestyle that they've contributed towards over many, many years? This morning I had this interview with a reporter and I said one of the problems with incarceration was poverty. And he said to me, well, you know, just because you're poor doesn't mean you commit crime. And that's no excuse. And I said, well, no one's saying it's an excuse for committing crime. But Paul, if you or I commit a minor offence or, you know, some kind of infringement and we get a fine, we have to pay $300 in a fine for what we've done. We may have had some kind of traffic incident or, you know, drunk too much one night or whatever we've done, we've made a mistake, we get our fine, we pay the fine, the mistake goes away. But if you haven't got $300, you end up in court and then non-payment of fines can end up with you in prison. And when I said to them, so, you know, if you've got no money, you can end up in prison because you made a minor mistake and are not able to pay the fine, it was like it was news to them. But you can't go to prison for non-payment fines. You know, it, the argument that he put to me was that that didn't happen. I said, well, it is happening. It's happening now. And I, I think you're right. We need to be saying, why are these things happening and what can we do to make sure that they don't? I really like that program where um, there's a kind of GoFundMe uh, page where those of us who have some money can put some money in to help pay the fines of people who've committed minor offences, mostly uh, Indigenous women who are being fined for being drunk in a public place and those kinds of things. We can pay the fines and that prevents that person going into prison. And, you know, I think it's, it's sad that we have to do that because people don't understand the way the system works for people in poverty. I don't think they've ever actually tried to live on $250 a week. I have, and I know <laughs> I know it's actually pretty... You get pretty sick of uh, lentils and potatoes. But I do think many people haven't been through those kinds of experiences and don't know what it's like. And sometimes things that you haven't experienced can have an appeal that, that shows a lack of understanding. I think it's very good that we're now looking at increasing the rate of the unemployment benefit. I've always found it strange, and I used to run a, a large drug treatment service, the gap between the disability pension and the unemployment benefit was so large that there's a real incentive for you to say that you're permanently disabled rather than saying that you're unemployed because it's worth well over $100 a week to be on a pension rather than on an unemployment benefit. And I, I think we create these kinds of poverty traps where you know, people are forced into, if they want to get a, a more sustainable support 
they might have to say that they're permanently unable to work when, in fact, they often could work a little bit, but if you can get the pension for being disabled rather than being unemployed, then that's what you do. And certainly running a drug treatment service, I was always shocked at how many of these young people were on disability pensions and they all explained it to me. Well, it's silly to be on an unsustainable income support if you can try and get on to a more sustainable one. So sometimes I think when they design these systems, they don't think about the way people actually live. Getting back to the rate of suicide amongst the First Nations Australians, uh, currently double that of the uh, wider non-Indigenous population. Again, out of sight, out of mind. I mean, many of these uh, suicides are in remote communities. One day headlines and and then uh, for most Australians, uh, the issue disappears until generally around election times when we have uh, all sides of politics wanting to commit to uh, mental health and well-being for the wider population, expecting that there will be some automatic flow down to remote Aboriginal communities. I thought it was a very good initiative of the West Australian coroner uh, to actually investigate Indigenous suicide, even though the, the focus was largely on young people. And they identified some of the bigger factors that are much harder to address. I do think we could do so much better uh, if we were prepared to work at it. And if these were the performance measures that governments had to Uh, respond to us on instead of just telling us how much money we have in the bank. I think we'd get a much fairer society in which we focus on the things that really need to be focused on if we're going to live good lives rather than focusing so much on how much money we've got in the bank. On that note, uh, David Crosby, CEO of the Community Council for Australia. Many thanks for joining us, David. Thanks, Paul. Yes, that was David Crosby, CEO of Community Council of Australia, uh, speaking with Karma's Paul Wiles. Hey, you fellas, this is Gail Marbe. You're listening to Strong Voices on Karma Radio, 8 Kin FM. Well, on to our final story now. Uh, with the aim of helping people and communities live healthier lives by improving health and well-being, the NIB Foundation supports local Australian charities through grants and partnerships to help them provide better physical, mental and social well-being outcomes for all communities across the country. Karma's Damien Williams spoke with Amy Tribe, who is the CEO of the NIB Foundation, And they spoke about how one of their grants gave the NPY Women's Council the opportunity to partner with the creators of a new mindfulness app and create meditations in three Aboriginal languages. So at NIB Foundation, uh, we are all about helping people and communities to live healthier lives. And we do that, Damien, through our grant programs, um, which support local charities right across Australia um, to further the good work that they do in local communities. So we either work with charities to get a great new idea like this one up and running or to support the ongoing delivery and expansion of existing community health initiatives. So we had previously worked with Smiling Mind and we really admire their work. So when MPY Women's Council applied to the 2018 Community Grant Program, it was a really compelling idea um, and one that we're really proud to support. And and so what kind of, um, uh, you know, how much did you provide to the uh, application? 
So we provided $50,000 in funding, which helped MPY and Smiling Mind to script and record the meditations in a number of local languages and programmed to 28 schools in the MPY region. Um, I've not had the privilege, Damien, of making a visit um, to the MPY lands to see the program in action, but I believe it's been really well received by the schools and, you know, most importantly by the, the children who we're trying to uh, assist through this program. Why didn't they um, want to get behind the project? So there's some emerging research coming out now that's shown that mindfulness-based meditation programs can significantly improve mental health and well-being and reduce the risk of um, self-harm in the general community. Um, but currently there's really, uh, we believe, nothing um, like this program that's been developed to cater specifically for the language and culture of Indigenous Australians. So um, NIB Foundation supported many initiatives over the years that take innovative and new approaches um, to improve the unacceptably high levels of poor mental health in Australia. Um, so I guess it's really pleasing for us to have the opportunity to, to put these two organisations together um, to be able to support the mental health and wellbeing specifically of, of young um, Indigenous people in the MPY Women's Council region. And how important do you think it is, uh, you know, sort of to mix those, um, you know, an ancient culture like uh, Aboriginal culture and uh, a sort of uh, recently new um, sort of uh, meditation side of uh, Western um, medicine? Look, I think it's um, critical, Damien. I think we're all um, really concerned about some of the, you know, seemingly intractable public health concerns that we are seeing in Australia and youth mental health is definitely up there as one of those. Um, and then, of course, within, you know, Indigenous um, populations, um, the, the statistics are, are even more frightening. So I think, you know, anything that we can do that brings together, um, you know, the art and, and science and, and language of, of multiple cultures to, to develop a, um, you know, a new solution is a positive thing. And what other projects uh, is NIB looking at um, trying to, uh, you know, fund and, and what have you done before? So um, each year we support about 10 to 15 new community health initiatives right across Australia. Um, and our model really is to support age-appropriate and targeted programs and to partner with charities like MPY that represent and really deeply understand the needs of the people um, that they're working to help. So we've partnered with a range of charities over the years that deliver um, Indigenous programs. One example, um, a couple of years ago, we worked with the Brisbane Indigenous Media Association in South East Queensland to develop a series of um, videos uh, and the, the, the actors in those videos were um, young Australian um, or Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and uh, they were about raising awareness of, of youth suicide, um, really quite um, compelling videos. Um, and this year we've actually partnered with the Kumiala Health Aboriginal Corporation in southwest New South Wales to deliver their drumbeat program. So our funding is going to help that program to purchase um, about 24 um, new drums to deliver um, group sessions. The drum beat's a great program, uh, combines music, psychology uh, and neurobiology to help um, 
reduce stress and improve self-regulation and and generally increase the social and emotional um, you know learning of the, the people that participate in the program. And Amy, for those uh, other groups out there that may be looking for a little bit of help and, and a bit of funding, how can they um, approach NIB and um, apply? Yeah, so look, we are always um, encouraging people to um, to take a look at our grants and see if they might be relevant. So they're open to registered charities right across Australia. And our next funding round has not been announced yet, but it will be in August or September this year. So in the meantime, we're inviting charities to visit our website. Uh, that is nibfoundation.com.au and to complete our upcoming grants form and we will let everyone um, on that list uh, know when our grant programs are released. And Amy, I was just wondering as well, what kind of information do you like people to provide? So we've got lots of information, Damien, on our website to help potential applicants understand whether they might be well aligned with our programs. We've got assessment criteria and guidelines there that um, can help people. We're also really happy to, you know, have a conversation so people can um, approach us via the website. Um, but, you know, essentially we are all about uh, preventative health programs um, in communities. We're really keen to hear from organisations working um you know, at the grassroots that really, you know, understand the communities that they're working with and, and have a great idea that we can support that will um, improve health and well-being of particularly um, young people. On that note, uh, Amy Tribe, thanks very much for joining us here on Calm Radio. Thank you very much, Damien. It's uh, been a pleasure to talk to you and we're really proud to have supported this program. That was Amy Tribe, the CEO of the NIB Foundation, speaking with Karma's Damien Williams. That's going to conclude Strong Voices for this morning. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back the same time tomorrow. Strong Voices.